The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And there's a new documentary streaming on Peacock. It's called I Love You, You Hate Me, the story of Barney, the big purple dinosaur that became a pop culture phenomenon for both how much kids seemed to love him and how much adults seemed to hate him. The doc traces the story of the creation of Barney by school teacher Cheryl Leach, who came up with the idea to entertain her young son, Patrick. What started out as homemade VHS tapes quickly turned into a multi-million dollar enterprise for public television. But as you'll see in the doc, Barney's popularity also had some negative consequences for Cheryl and her son, Patrick, and even society at large, given the huge backlash of hate that grew for Barney. Adults loved to hate him. There were Barney bashing events in the 90s and even an I Hate Barney secret society. Today, documentary filmmaker Tommy Avalone returns to talk as Jericho for the third time to talk about his latest project, and what made him want to do a deep dive into Barney and the hate associated with the big purple dinosaur. He talks about the many people he interviewed for the doc, including both the voice of Barney, Bob West, and David Joyner, the man who actually wore the big purple dinosaur costume. He explains why Cheryl Leach opted not to participate in the doc and shares the tragic story about both her husband and her son, Patrick. And Tommy talks about some of the curses and crazy rumors that grew around Barney, like people believing Barney was a satanic demon, or that he was named after a serial killer, or that he was a drug mule used to transport cocaine in his giant purple tail. Can't make this stuff up. Tommy also gives us a sneak peek into his next project. He's making a documentary called The House From, and it's all about the houses made famous by TV and the movies, like the Breaking Bad House, the House from Mrs. Doubtfire, the Goonies House, and the Outsiders House, owned by Talk is Jericho alumni Danny Boy O'Connor. So here we go. Tommy Avaloni returns to Talk is Jericho to take us behind the scenes of the story of Barney, the giant purple dinosaur, right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. <laughs> Okay, so he's back, Tommy Avalone. Three times. Which I had to make sure I pronounced it out. Three times, yeah. You, you get a, a green jacket with that. You're uh, getting near Tom Hanks levels on SNL. Can't wait. <laughs> but uh, always got cool things that you uh, made films about. Started with Santa Claus and Bill Murray, and we just recently spoke about Guar. But the newest project is, is kind of a two-part docuseries about Barney. I love you, you hate me. And this one maybe might have been the most interesting to me out of all of them. Twofold from the start. One, it's one of those kind of cultural icons that you forget even existed in Barney. Right. And two, just this whole dark story behind it. So how did you decide to, to get involved in doing a documentary about this giant purple lovable dinosaur? <laughs> I was on Instagram and I saw like this, like, you know, one of those like nostalgia posters. It was a news broadcast from 1993 of uh, the University of Nebraska. And they were doing a Barney bashing event, you know, and this news broadcast is actually a Canadian broadcast. They were filming all these college kids from Nebraska beating up Barney, ripping him apart, hitting him with a hammer. And the newscasters at the end were like, well, that's the future of that country right there. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, we're living in that future now. I was like, you know, people are really divided and they're talking, we have so much hate in the world right now. I was like, what if you could tell a story about love and hate, but through the eyes of Barney the dinosaur? And that was really the genesis of the idea. 
And we just started reaching out to different people who played Barney, uh, the voices, the bodies, you know, people behind the scenes. It was really interesting what we found out. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, uh, that, you know, Barney started the careers of Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato. And it was kind of like a modern day Mickey Mouse club. And that all, you know, all these kids came out of it and and had various levels of show business success. But like you said, I I think something that didn't even, like I said, don't thinking about this stuff, about who's playing Barney inside the, the costume. Yeah. Who's got the voice of Barney and just all of the different, you know, people that went into this and how it impacted their lives. So when you went to look for some of these people, were they hard to find? Were they very excited to talk about Barney? Was there some hesitation? Yeah, I mean, all of that. You know, what I mean, like, because like it's not typical to have like Big Bird was Carol Spenning. Like he was his voice, it was his body, it was everything. You know, Elmo is the same guy. It's it's always one person who does the body and the voice. But with Barney, that was just different. You know, I mean, all these other shows are in New York, L.A. Like Barney was so weird in that it was made by these two mom school teachers in Allen, Texas, which is right outside Dallas and kind of made this like cultural phenomenon. But yeah, I mean, Bob West was the voice of Barney and we just reached out to him on Facebook and started talking to him. And thankfully, he was a fan of Bill Murray's stories. So that was like, we also were producing it with Scout Productions. And they, you know, they do uh, Queer Eye, Legendary, uh, The Hype, like all these sort of like Emmy award winning shows. So it was, it was a great like sort of partnership that we had there. But once Bob West told me that he got a death threat from a nine year old on email, you know, in like the early 90s, I was like, I hey, mean, we have something here. <laughs> <laughs> Before we talk kind of a little bit of the history of Barney, that is interesting to me that you said you have this big production company that you're working with. Obviously, it's on Peacock. So that's kind of a next level from, you know, just producing a DVD documentary that you're submitting to, you know, film festivals, etc. So was this a project that you brought to them? Yeah. And then they decided to work with you on it? Yeah, so uh, all my other movies have been like independently made, small budgeted films that either get on Netflix, do the f- film festivals, and all that sort of circuit. Whereas this, uh, you know, because of Bill Murray stories, I was doing the circuit of like meeting different production companies, Scout being one of them, and we started developing this other project together that didn't work. But once I had that idea of love and hate through Barney, I called up Trent Johnson, who worked at Scout, and I was like, "What do you think about this idea?" And they loved it. It was this sort of like developing it with him and getting it right to pitch. And we pitched everyone. At the end of the day, we, you know, we went to Peacock. But so like when I was a kid, me and my friends would make, make videos all the time. And I lived in New Jersey right outside the Philadelphia area, which is like an hour and 40 minutes from New York. So my mom would take us to New York all the time, just like for whatever. I would bring these tapes of like these skits and stuff like that because, you know, I'm 15 years old. And I want my own TV show. And I would hand them. And then Comedy Central was like a very young network. I think South Park was just starting. And I would hand these tapes to Comedy Central. And the woman who would write letters back to me, her name was Corey, she would always be like, oh, thank you for sending this. Uh, it's not ready right now. But you know, thanks for sending. And you know, just a really nice, kind email. You know, when I was moving once, I found those letters. This, this I, was, I was like, oh, I wonder what she's doing now. And I saw she was working for Oxygen. And o- all the people from Oxygen now work for Peacock. Oh. And one, on my very, very, very first project that was like the biggest thing ever, that woman, Corey, was on the, the pitch. And she was one of the people that said yes in, in doing this. So like this woman who was my first like no – you know, trying to get into the business was my first like big yes. And I just thought that was like a crazy story about this woman, Corey, who worked at Comedy Central at the time. I'm saying this had to been like late nineties and now like 2022, well, it would have been 2021 at the time, but you know, saying, yeah, this NBC universal backed project, go make this, you know, I thought that was crazy. It's cool how show business works, right? Right. So let's talk a little bit about what you kind of found out about the history of Barney. And obviously the documentary is very intricate and is very detailed, but let's talk about the basic story about how Barney was created and just how, how it all started to get unraveled, shall we say. Yeah. So Cheryl Leach was like a, a stay-at-home mom, school teacher. Well, she was a school teacher, then became a student, stay-at-home mom when her son was born. She would put on tapes to, just to try to get his attention for a little bit. 
and nothing worked. You know, there was this one show called uh, one tape called uh, We Sing Together. It's really creepy, sort of weird. Like these like bears and all these stuffed animals come to life <laughs> and they sing songs, but it grabbed his attention. And so she wanted to rent like another one of these tapes, but there was there was only one. So she saw this like hole in the market, you know? So she was like, what if I made a tape like we sing together, but added educational elements in it. So like her and another school teaching friend got together. Uh, she married into this uh, family that actually had a production company. So it was lucky on that end. And they started making these tapes and they made like eight different tapes of Barney. It was almost like a, a, a DIY, like punk band. Like they had like their self-released tapes and then someone from PBS was like, these are good. This is, this is great. And in 1992, they put them on PBS and it just blew up. What was it that made it blow up so so fast? Kids just love songs. Like they love singing along, you know? I mean, there was, there was a lot of like sort of like inclusion. I mean, like Barney's this bright colored, you know, figure. Kids always love, I mean, you love dinosaurs. Everyone loves, like kids love dinosaurs. It was that. It was the songs, and they're singing like public domain songs. They're like Wheels in the Bus or Itty Bitty Spider. They're, so they're very familiar in that way, and just kids just really connected to it. And if there's another thing I didn't even realize that Barney went almost 20 years. Yeah. 92 to 2010. It became cheaper to just play reruns than make new ones because if you think about it, their demo is turned over every like four years. Right. So they could recycle. Yeah, good point. Yeah. My kids were born in 2003. In 2006, I don't recall us being a big Barney family, but obviously it was there. But, you know, you have Steve from Blue's Clues on, and that's hilarious because how many mornings did I watch Steve? And then you see him now, and everyone, all of us get older, but you see him like, oh, my gosh, even Steve got older. I can't believe it. <laughs> we wanted like to have like a murder's row of like uh, like kids show programming people in there. Like Bill Nye's in there, Steve from Blue's Clues. We tried to get Stick Stigley. I'm not sure if you remember that guy. It was just a stick, and we interviewed the stick, but like legally we couldn't put it in there because it was like it's a copyrighted figure, right? You know? Right, right, right. We talked to Tinky Winky on Zoom, but like he was in Europe at the time. So it was, <laughs> it, was like, it was a lot of fun to talk to these kids, these people. Just that statement right there, Tinky Winky on Zoom, but he was in Europe at the time. <laughs> he gets around that Tinky Winky. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When Barney hits, like you mentioned, kids love songs. And it was kind of like it became this cultural phenomenon in America. How big was the show? So it came out on uh, PBS in 92, but 93 is what they call their Elvis year. It was just huge. They were selling just millions of dollars worth of like merchandising. And I think they sold out like 11 shows in a row at Radio City Music Hall. I mean, Cheryl and the whole crew were really smart in that they just saw this this hole in the market, like Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, all the shows that were happening at the time weren't really targeting little kids. They're reaching children. Right. So, but Barney was just like very here, you know, and, you know, Nick Jr. wasn't even really a thing at the time. It was just kind of starting, you know, and after Barney comes, becomes successful, you see more characters aim for that sort of demographic. Steve from Blue's Clues, Elmo becomes popular. You know, all these sort of characters, they're like, oh, well, there's a market now for like the zero to four years old. Did it always stay on PBS or did it branch out past that? Yeah, it was always on PBS. They would do some specials on NBC from time to time. In 1998, they had a big movie, which is funny. The director of the movie, his movie prior, it was like a sort of like movie about underground hip hop in New York. KRS One is in it. It's a scripted movie. And they're just like, it's all about like, there's different performances, like, and, you know, raps going on. And the people of the Barney team were like, talk to the director, like, well, you did a musical before this. He's like, I guess you could call it a musical. <laughs> like, they're like cursing and rapping, all that sort of stuff. And then now his next movie is Barney's Great Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and also, too, you mentioned the live shows. And I remember taking my kids to the live shows, specifically Blues Clues was one. Uh, I think there was a Dora the Explorer. That's we didn't go to a Barney, but just you're talking about it's like going to see 
outdated reference, but like the Beatles in 1965, where these kids are just going crazy, screaming and yelling. Oh yeah, and like you mentioned, the the, the people on stage are definitely rock stars. Yeah, I mean, they all the news people are like it's Barney Mania, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know, it's it's interesting. And then I, I wonder if I wonder how you felt about it. But like, you know, when I first started telling people I was doing a Barney the Dinosaur documentary, people were like, "Oh, okay, I'm not sure if I would be the demo for that." But like the way we kind of talk about like love and hate, and like where hate sort of comes from through Barney, like were you surprised by watching it? Kind of like early internet hate and hitting Barney that way. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't realize that, that, that it happened, you know, and that's why the, the, the documentary is so interesting to me because like I mentioned right out of the gate, it's a twofold one, just remembering how huge and popular Barney was. And then just all of the, the bashing and the Barney curse and all this other stuff. Let's talk about how important, I mean, obviously Barney's the tale of two cities there's da- david right the 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 ta- david joiner yeah david joiner who's a tantric sex teacher which is a great <laughs> little segue who is the is the body of barney yes and then the voice of barney is bob west bob west right so let's talk about david joiner for a bit because he's saying how much he loves barney and it's, it's an extension of himself yeah how 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 uh, integral was he to barney's success especially on these live shows but even in tv as well Huge success. I mean, it was a huge reason for it. You know, it's like what's interesting about the people behind Barney is they're such unique, strange characters. And I mean, strange in a positive way possible. Right. So like Bob West, the voice, he used to do voices for Chuck E. Cheese as well. You know, and David Joyner, he used to be a mime. He, he used to stand in stores and just be a mime. A mannequin, rather, you know, and like he was just like a, they're all just kind of came from weird backgrounds because they're all in Texas. And it was like there wasn't like a lot of work going on. So it was just like, whatever was there, they kind of did. But David was always into Tantra. And, you know, a lot of people think of that and think of it just being like just a sex thing, but it is a lot of just sort of like getting your energy up and moving your energy and like a lot of like spiritual stuff. And the way he talked about his meditations through Tantra uh, with Barney, you know, he talked about taking that energy and putting it through the suit and through the television and into your kid's brain right there, you know? And like the way he explains it is much better than I'm explaining it, yeah. but it is, it is interesting how he just talks about it and it, it kind of worked. Like he just put so much energy in that suit that it just kind of tr- just went through the television and connected to whoever was willing to have be connected to it. You know, let's talk about the voice. Yeah. Well, Bob, so Bob West, he used to, do, he did, if you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese as a kid or as you know, you taking your kids there, he did the, the voice of the dog and the chef. So, I mean, <laughs> just the fact that the, those two worlds are combined in my eyes, I think that's hilarious, but Bob and David are so interesting in that they're complete opposites. Like David is such a alpha sort of male, you know, very just confident himself. And Bob's just more reserved. You know, he's the voice and all that stuff. Like Bob's got the voice down. He's like usually in like, a room somewhere doing a voice. And whereas David has got this like huge outfit on doing 360s. Like it's a lot to do all this stuff. And like, he was just like a very fit person, you know, mm-hmm. it was interesting to see that these two combined made Barney because it really worked in that way. I think I, if David was doing the voice or if Bob was doing the spins, it, I don't know if it would work. I think their combined efforts really made that character strong. How involved was uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Leach, right? Cheryl Leach. Yeah. Was she still quite involved uh, throughout the making of the series over 18 years? No. She started Barney in 1988 with the tapes, and it went on TV in 92. Uh, The movie was kind of her last hurrah in 1998. You know, after that, she decided to uh, sort of be more with family. Her husband and her son moved from Texas to uh, Connecticut. You know, I think there was a lot of strain on that relationship. And, you know, with success comes a lot of other things, you know, and with that, I think uh, they just felt like moving out into Connecticut was just going to be, you know, helpful to them. Let's talk about some of some of these, when it started to kind of go a little bit downhill. Now you mentioned that there was, when, when did the bashings start? The bashing was more or less like right away. You mean like 92, 93 was what they called their Elvis year. And that's when it was all, that's when like right. the jihad destroyed. Barney. The first time the word jihad has ever been used on 
the internet was the jihad destroyed Barney. And it's like early internet too, you know? So it wasn't even like an AOL dial up. These are like usernet things. So it was like a really crazy time. And then the I hate Barney secret society was real big. Jerry Springer had all these uh, Barney bashers on everyone in any sort of sitcom, like made a Barney joke. I mean, full house was making fun of Barney. It was just this huge sort of punching bag, unfortunately, you know, and that was the case. It was always there, but Cheryl always ignored the hate and they, they did what they could. Like, like I mentioned, uh, Bob West, he got a death threat from a nine-year-old on email, you know, like his email got out and these kids at school would like email this. I'm going to, I'm going to get you sort of thing, you know? Um, so for the most part, they were, they worked a lot of hours in that show. So they try to ignore it as much as they possible. But the people who worked for the show chose to ignore it. But when you doing the tour, you do sort of like see it from, especially like the, the shock jock radios would give Barney a hard time, you know? And that would be like kind of taking the Barney dolls and lighting them on fire and cutting their yeah. heads off and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, like the greatest thing is to, for us to look through the, we have a lot of archival in our documentary. I have such a soft spot for the nineties and it was really interesting to see like, you know, this Barney bashing on like hard copy, you know, it's just like these things are like so dated in the way they were presented, even just early Springer. It was really like fun to watch. We, we even tried to like, I wanted to interview John Cena for this. Interesting. Because John Cena was the real life Barney. He was so successful for the demo uh, that he was made for, but anyone 18 to 35 hated him, you know? And that, and that was kind of Barney. Like, he was so successful for the kids. But then if you were older than that, it was like, let's go, Barney. Barney sucks, you know? <laughs> Good call. Good call. And let me just uh, give a little bit of a detail. Jihad is the spiritual struggle within oneself against sin. <laughs> and we, you know, and like we interviewed the guy who was running that website, you know, it's like, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he's like, I didn't hate Barney. I was irritated by Barney, but you're a college kid and you're trying to be funny. But he's like, he felt somewhat responsible for that early internet language that can, you can kind of be traced back to like 4chan and like the way people sort of talk online and bash things. And he, even in that group, they saw a divide where like some people were like, let's go to his Barney event and throw like a pie at him or something like that. And he's like, right. not in the real life, you know? So there was a divide where it's like, no, we're just joking here versus the people who wanted to start doing real things in real life, you know? Well, and, and you mentioned too, the, 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 just one last thing about the Barney movie uh, in 98, the budget was 15 million and it only made 12 million at the box office. So it seems like at that point, even the bloom is off the rose as far as just the overall fame of Barney. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I'd be curious, like what, because you've got to think about like Barney's demo doesn't pay for tickets. So you're half of your, your audience there isn't paying to see the movie. Right. You know, so it's, right. it's, it's, it's <laughs> I think at a while there, like, they're like, why are we doing this from the theaters? You know, we should just get, go back to selling tapes, you know? Oh, Cause you're saying that kids under four get in free or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. talk about uh i, I love the, the section of the movie about the barney uh, legends oh yeah barney, urban, urban legend. myths yeah the urban yeah yeah and when we talk about that it's like there is something in our core as a society to like see something that seems perfect and need to like break it down you know or like pop that bubble of positivity you know and we we fall like not just barney but you know mr rogers this perfect b he was perfect you know right and these rumors that oh he was in the military and he killed a bunch of people he has tattoos up and down his arms you know you know he did this with children did that you know it's like they're all lies you know steve blues clues apparently died of a heroin uh, overdose or a car crash he was in our documentary you know like but like barney <laughs> there was these rumors where people say he hung himself in the suit like david jordan the body of barney got a call from his mom crying going are you alive <laughs> you know like but it, it happens it's, it's something that happens about these characters 
that it's really interesting, like why we feel the need to break something down. Another good one was that Barney was uh, a, a demon. Well, there there was this rumor. I mean, this is like early internet, but like there was this like lost tape of Barney where like some parents swore that they saw this show of Barney where he was cursing and laughing like a, like a crazy man. There was a rumor that Barney was named after a 1930s serial killer. Serial killer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could play the song backwards and it was like it had like some sort of like song in there too. My favorite was in the 93 it's like these news broadcasts like would interview like intelligent like journalist people and they would say like there's got to be something subliminal in the show because it's the way kids reacting to it there's got to be something in there that parents don't hear like this is serious people saying these things it's ridiculous although my daughter you know she was one when we were filming we put Barney on and she's like glued to the TV so mm-hmm. there could be something in that but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the other good one is that Barney's tales filled with cocaine. Well, that's the fun one for me because so there was a rumor that Barney was a cokehead and just like had drugs in his tail. But was the truth is Barney was so popular at the time those those dolls people would smuggle drugs in the dolls and like there was like proven cases of people smuggling drugs in Barney dolls. So I feel like somewhere down the line, that's where that rumor started. You know, <laughs> I just love that, man. That, that costume is so big and, and hard to deal with putting cocaine in the tail would be the last place you'd want to put it. Cause it'd be too hard to get it out. Yeah. Like we talked to David Jordan. I don't think it's, I don't think it's in the movie, but he's like, how would I even do that? Right. That's the worst spot to put my drugs. <laughs> <laughs> what um, is the story kind of about Cheryl Leach and, and her family? Because it does get very kind of dark and sad uh, because like you mentioned, she creates this character to bring joy to children, but it brings nothing but crushing, you know, horrible things to her family itself. The success of Barney definitely had like um, a divide in her relationship with her husband. You know, I mean, some things I feel like you should watch the movie to like kind of see that sort of thing. But unfortunately, and in spoilers, uh, you know, things do happen with her son that you just like, it's just unfortunate, you know, and as we get to know the character of Cheryl and then, and I'll tell you like Cheryl did not be, she's not interviewed in this movie, which, you know, I met up with her in Sleepy Hollow, New York. We had this amazing like four hour lunch and we laughed, we cried, we like we really bonded. But deep down, like she just didn't want to be in the movie for a couple different reasons. And one of which, like, she never addressed the bashing back then and she wasn't gonna address the movie now. You know, if the movie was just called I Love You, she would be in it. But the fact that it says you hate me, there was some part of it that she was just never gonna want to be a part of. But with her family, there's a lot that kind of you know, you don't know what happens behind closed doors. I mean, like, look, for you, it's like eight-time champion, you know, successful wrestler. But, like, who knows? Like, behind closed doors, there could be something you're struggling with and all that sort of stuff. And just because you're successful doesn't mean, you know, you have this, like, happy-go life. And unfortunately with Cheryl, that was kind of the case with her family. I'm sure everything's fine with you, Chris. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting when um, – what was her son's name? Patrick with how Patrick kind of grows up with this much more famous older brother that kind of takes away all the attention from him. Of course, talking about Barney. Yeah. It's, it's a really a story of a mother and two children, right? You know, Patrick, her real child who Barney was made for. Right. Patrick couldn't pay attention to, he was just a, what they call an overactive two-year-old, you know, and how do you, get him to like calm down for just a couple of minutes where Cheryl could just get a shower or just make lunch or just have like a moment of peace. So Barney was created for him. And then now this character, her, his you know brother, and she's always been in the press saying Barney, I'm Barney's mom has taken her, his mom away from him in so many ways. You know, he, she was so successful. She was just constantly working, which is, is great as a success story. But we found that even Christopher Robin, the son of the creator of Winnie the Pooh, like he had a really difficult relationship with Winnie the Pooh because, you know, his name was in Winnie the Pooh. And so the creator of Winnie the Pooh had like a really difficult relationship with his son. Right. Uh, Murphy Brown, uh, it was Candace Bergen is the actress. I didn't know this, but her father was a huge, huge, hugely successful control. Uh, Ventriloquist. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Puppet guy. <laughs> Edgar Bergen. Yeah. And like he was so popular that like 
Candace like had like almost a competition with this like character that wasn't even real. She's she's in we use archival footage, but she's in our documentary saying he was real to me, and I felt like you know I had a fight for my father's love from this character. So it's really interesting, you know, not so much Mister Rogers. I mean, his kids have been said that it's like your father being the second coming of Christ, which is a hard thing to like leave up to like, you know, that responsibility. But there is a really interesting relationship with these people who create these iconic characters for children programming with that relationship with the the real children. Well, and I think there would be a little bit, uh, I, I see more of Candace Bergen's side of things than Mr. Yeah. Rogers kids. Cause, Cause Candace Bergen's dad creates this. I can't remember what the, puppet's name was but you know the the dummy shall we say <laughs> but you know there actually is a barney and i bet you this yeah. kid was like i'm sick of this freaking barney already you know i want my mom back yeah i mean like you know i mean i'll say she was a fantastic mother it wasn't like you know anything bad right but sure with the same regard it's like you know here comes like any kid who's turning like five or six years old is going to be it's the first thing you learn to denounce right you're like i'm I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm not a fan of Barney anymore. You know, like it's the first thing you learn to like, just to hate to fit in. And now, so most kids can be like, okay, mom, I'm not going to watch Barney anymore and be done with it. Whereas, oh, mom's not here because, you know, she's out in Europe with Barney, you know, mm. like, or, or I have to hear all these kids making fun of Barney and making fun of me. Cause they know my mom, you know, it's just like, it's like, it's a weird sort of relationship. That's not very common. Let's talk about kind of Patrick and, and what happened to him later on in his life. Do you think it's it's because of, I don't know, the, the, the destruction of his family due to Barney that he ends up kind of going off the rails and, and, and shooting his neighbor? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm laughing because it's like he just, he just went for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just wondering, like, you know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, like, in, in our two-hour documentary, we kind of explore everything that surrounds that what just happens, you know, right. like Patrick shot his Malibu neighbor and went to jail for five years. I think there's a lot that goes into, it. you could easily just like minimize it to like, Oh, isn't it ironic that the mother of this creature that's supposed to teach you how to love shot their neighbor. But there was a lot that kind of went into it. Like Patrick himself had like a, a brain tumor as a young child. Oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot of like, you know, attention towards Barney where like, if, if Bob West is getting death threats, you know the creator of Barney is getting threats. So there's definitely like not high alert, but there's sort of paranoia that's coming in being raised by this high profile character. And then also like, you know, Cheryl's husband, unfortunately killed himself. So it's like, he's dealing with that at a young age there. They were divorced right before that. There's a lot of things that went on in his life that are very unfortunate and just wait on him. And, you know, we reached out to Patrick to talk to him about what happened that day. And unfortunately, he didn't want to talk to us. But I mean, like, we are more than our worst day. You know, Patrick now is out of jail. He's doing well. So we're not like here to point like a finger at him. But it, it is interesting to see like all that went around this character and how it affected her family in such a way, especially all the things I just mentioned. It's, it's unfortunate and crazy. And yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things, too. Like, fame is not for everybody. No, when you create something like like like, like basically like we mentioned like a, like a toy uh, for her son that becomes so big, her husband might not have wanted that. I don't think they did. You know, they I don't, didn't. Right. I mean, like I think Cher always had the idea that Barney was going to be successful, but like I don't think anyone can imagine how successful it was going to be. You know, and I think the family itself very much loved just to be calm and like ha like you know Cheryl's husband was running the company that his father created. So like he had his life sort of shifted in the way he thought it was going to be. Right. And I'm not saying he did what he did because of that. I mean, there, obviously there's a lot that I don't even know, you know I mean? Cause behind closed doors, you don't really know. And the family didn't really want to speak to us in that regard. There was a lot of attention. And I think at times they would have taken it back. Well, it was interesting to me where you said that he was the, um, you know, he went from being the, the, the breadwinner of the family to kind of being in the background and being the stay home, yeah. you know, house husband in a lot of ways. And, and and that's what I was saying earlier. These people might not have wanted that. And then when it hits you, you're like, listen, we never expected to be this big and we don't like it anymore. But the cats are right out of the bag. The dinosaurs are right out of the cave, shall we say. Yeah. And there's no turning back. And I think that was kind of what was thinking when she left the show and 
moved to Connecticut. I think it was tr- that trying to like sort of like not a redo, but what would the word be like? Just like a reset. Yeah, you know? sure, of course. Trying to to get your your life back, if nothing else, you know. Yeah, I mean, like when I spoke to her, and again, she did, she wasn't in the movie at all. But when I spoke, she was in a really good place. You know, she's very happy. You know, especially with Patrick had just come out of jail, uh, so she was she was in a good spot. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What's kind of um, the end of Barney? Because like we said here, you, we mentioned it's 18 years of being on TV. And, you, and in the Elvis year, just as a little bit of information for people that don't realize just how big Barney was, $500 million in retail sales. Yeah. Unbelievable. And one last thing, when they talk about Patrick being in Malibu and in the incident with his neighbor, that house is freaking huge. It's, it's, it's in his mansion. And this thing is a mansion like it's massive you could tell yeah yeah i was i mean like so barney sold and so we've been finished the movie for a little bit now so i'm a little foggy in some of the dates but when they sold the company like so when like um lyric that the company that owned barney sold it to uh hit entertainment which is the henson group Mm -hmm. it would have been i think like 2000 2001 or two possibly somewhere around that time but they sold it for 275 million dollars she's right yeah, so that's, it's a crazy amount of money. <laughs> I remember watching Sesame Street, for example, but SpongeBob was big in our house. Okay. As a parent, you could watch SpongeBob because there was a lot of kind of little things in there for the parents right. that kids wouldn't even get, sometimes even almost like sexual references. And, you know, then they put the music they play and all that sort of stuff. Sesame Street, too, you, like I said, it could be for parents and for kids. Barney, nothing for parents. No. All kids. I think subliminally, you, as a parent at that time, you got to feel there's got to be a reaction to that being excluded because, you know, with Sesame Street, like you, everything you just said, you can watch and enjoy. Yeah. But when someone's like, this is not for you, you know, I, I think there is this element of like, well, why? I want something too, right. <laughs> you know, and I think there's a reaction that for some people who maybe are like not comfortable with themselves or even like, you know, we talked to the college kid who did the Barney bashing event, Travis. He was like, you know, he was encroaching on our character. We were Big Bird fans. We were Sesame Street fans. And here comes this other character that's like <laughs> thinking they're number one. You know, so there is that element of like unsaid fear when content is no longer made for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, I'm too old for children's programming. I'm too old for this. And you, see, you know, a lot of times when people are like, music nowadays is so bad or whatever. And it's because it's like it's not being made for you anymore. And there's that fear like, oh, no, I'm getting old. Right. And I'm going to die soon, <laughs> you know? Before we talk about the end of Barney, there's another a great little uh, kind of side story about the feud of Barney and the San Diego chicken. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was so funny, so like, I, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. I don't follow like sports, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so I didn't know about who the San Diego chicken was or what it was, but it's like this big famous mascot. Yeah, one of the most famous mascots for sure. Yeah, I had no idea. Okay, even I know that. <laughs> Although I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying that I think Pete Rose dressed like the San Diego chicken and Kane might have tombstoned him at a time. So I'm not sure. I think so. So you should have known that. Yeah, I should have known. Yeah. But anyway, San Diego chicken, his name is Ted. He refused to be interviewed as Ted. Like he had to be dressed as a San Diego chicken. He doesn't do any interviews where he's not dressed like the chicken. So in this Barney documentary where we're talking about real things, here comes this man dressed in a chicken outfit. And like, it was so funny to see someone mic him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of was that feud all about? The Senator chicken kept uh, bagging on Barney. Oh yeah. So yeah. Any sort of like baseball game, you know, the San Diego chicken would do bits, you know, and one of their, one of his like, I oh, more popular bits is he would go out and beat Barney. Like Barney and him would have a dance off competition and then it would get like aggressive and then at one point, Barney pushed him and the chicken pushed him. And then like, then they start fighting and like he knocks him out and like pins him. And it's like this whole big thing. So he's beating out Barney 
in front of this whole like all these baseball games and the Barney company sued him. They're like, you can't do this, you know? And he was claiming it's parody and they're claiming it's like you're causing harm to our IP. And they went to court and the San Diego chicken won. And the Barney people, you know, they did sue a lot of people. You know, there was like there was a lot of things where you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Where it was like, oh, you can't go, you can't rent a fake Barney costume at a costume shop. That makes sense. But there's a lot of times where like if someone did anything bad about the j- jihad destroy Barney people, they they try to sue them. They just try to sue anyone who were making fun of Barney. That was like their one way like to re- sort of react to the bashing is they would sue a lot of people. Try to. And that was another thing that I thought was very interesting when you, you know, if you're a little kid that's a fan of Barney and you see, you know, him getting beaten up by the San Diego chicken, I'm sure that's pretty, that takes its toll on you as a kid. Very traumatic. Yeah. I mean, that's something we talk about in the movie too, where it's like, okay, look, I was too old for Barney, so I can't connect of Barney being like this, like iconic hero to me. But like, I love Cookie Monster. I love Scrooge McDuck. If some like weird chicken is going to start beating up Scrooge McDuck or Cookie Monster (laughs) in a baseball field, like you're going to be like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to my buddy? You know? So there is that element of like, look, my my kids love Blippi right now. Like Blippi, you know, is a hugely successful kids character. And his songs are annoying, you know, but like as a parent, am I going to be like, you know, you shouldn't be listening. This is annoying. Let's beat up Blippi. You know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. hate Blippi's secret society. He's like, no, it's like you want to teach. You can't like as a parent, I wouldn't as a parent bash something that, that my kid like just loves and adores, you know? So there is this like really, you know, fine line, I guess, between some attacking some of these kids show characters. Well, once again, too, though, you have these songs like, I, like when, when I talk about SpongeBob, like they would do. I remember the Goofy Goofer, which was I Want to Rock, Twisted Sister, just with different lyrics. And like, you're like, okay, my son's going nuts for the Goofy Goober. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's great. It's, it's, it's a great song. There's none of that in Barney. Like, like you said, I, I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like Adam Sandler's going on Sesame Street, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Jack Black. Yeah. 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 There's, no, there's nothing like that says, like, Hey parents, it's okay, you know, and Barney, you know, it's like clean up, clean up, you know, it's like all right. <laughs> so what what finally led to the end of Barney in 2010 because like you had a great point when you said you could just rerun them every 5 years yeah. till the end of time, it doesn't cost you a damn thing. And it's still on, you know, it's I mean, I think Netflix, Peacock, you know, Amazon like they all have like old episodes. I mean, that's the thing, it's like so Barney got sold to Hit Entertainment and they started like changing the formula. Uh, I think once new people came in, you know, with any sort of like network stuff, it's like they're like, I know it's not broke, but uh, let's let's let me add my little th- something to it. And I think enough people tinkered to it where the product started to change. Bob left and David left, and even though the p- new people who came in were still great, it was just different. It was, I, I think it was enough started to change and before it was like Barney was like talking to the kids and then the kids started going away and they added a new character riff, you know, like there was like all these sort of changes and just Barney wasn't as unique. And also like at the time, Barney really filled this void of children's programming. But at the time of 2010, Nickelodeon's huge. Disney's huge. Uh, there's all these other programmers that sort of saw that hole that Barney was filling and made their own content. So they really had a lot more competition. And like, whereas like shows like Sesame Street that could stay relevant, Barney didn't do that, you know. And I think at the end of the day, is my opinion that it was just, it was just cheaper to rerun old shows than to make new ones. So you still can watch Barney though; it still has a presence. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, everything's on YouTube, but like, I mean, I I, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I know it's on Peacock. Netflix, I believe, has a couple episodes too. It's usually like seasons like seven through fourteen. Like those early years, for some reason, aren't available, and I, I don't quite know why. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Thank you. 
how has it been for you, like from a reception standpoint, the, the docu series? Yeah, I mean, like the so the trailer came out two weeks ago. It was trending, you know. Uh, and I'd never been a part of something that like I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. So that was cool. Like even Bill Murray, Bill Murray stories when I came out was like huge for me. You know, it was like on airlines. We were on like TBS in Spain, but like this, it was just like the trailer dropped. It just seemed like everything, like everyone was talking Barney. Even like it was funny because you were on AW that night, dressed it all in purple, and people were like, "Is this because of Barney?" You know, and I was, I thought that was really cool homage uh, but, to Barney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you know, it was it was trending and it was cool seeing people talk about him. And it's air later, but like, so I'm excited to see what people, I mean, so far, all the interviews I've talked to who have seen it, they enjoyed it. So I'm happy about that. I've never made anything with commercial breaks before. So that was weird. Oh, because Peacock has, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's, you have yeah. kind of those like uh, cliffhanger breaks you have to use. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird for me because it's like, it feels so unnatural to make cliffhangers because it's like obvious, but it, it works, you know, people continue watching right was this originally conceived as just one long movie or did peak was peacock involved right out of the gate a lot of times people break like i think it's really common right now to break some like sort of story up into pieces because this is the way people watch things we were initially going to make it a three episode piece that was 45 minutes each but instead we made it two episodes Mm. 60 minutes each so we just lost like a couple of minutes but it's stronger. You know, you, you hate to be that docuseries. It's like, it really only need to be this many episodes, you know? So I think we, uh, we stay our welcome. When you put together a documentary, do you kind of store it, not storyboard it, obviously, but do you, do you put together kind of like, do you, you get all the information, kind of a, a skeleton of the story and then try and fill in the blanks or, or how does that go for you? Two different ways. So I'm going to like shamefully promote this other movie I'm doing right now real quick, just to talk about what you're saying. No, no, no Yeah. I'm also doing this documentary about people who live in famous houses from movies and TV shows. So what's it like to live in the full house house? What's it like to live in the home alone house? <laughs> so we're doing a Kickstarter for that right now. Uh, it's called thehousefrom.com where you could be a part of it. And it's a really cool project, but that's like a super small project because there's no drama or like meaning like there's no like true crime element. There's no stakes. It's just like, Oh, that's an interesting world that I want to explore. Mm. That's something where it's independent, which is like a couple people, me and like two buddies that are filming everything and we're like filming things as we go along and editing and going, Oh, well this could do this. And then you start like putting the puzzle together that way. It's like, we have these questions. We know those stuff we want to talk about and it slowly presents itself, you know? But what I found with working with the network, like Peacock, it's like, you're not really allowed that amount of time to like discover. We did our pre-production. We knew all the story, you know, so we had talked to like, the Bob West and the David Joiners and all these sort of people before we sold it, we knew what the story was going to be by just like talking to them. So you, you really kind of map that out. Like, okay, well in episode one, there's six acts because of the commercial breaks, right? It's like, what are these acts? So what are we saying in these sort of things? So it's kind of like from our research, we develop what the story is and then ask the questions to then tell that story, you know? So it was a completely different way of doing it. Whereas independently, I could take forever with this house project and it doesn't, I mean, we're going to have it out next year, but like, it doesn't matter. Like I could just kind of take my time and all that sort of stuff where it's like, it's like, Oh, well it's, you know, we'll buy this and it will come out October of 2022. So it's okay. You have this much time for, you know, and then they give their notes. So it's like, it's always constantly being moved forward. And like, there's just so much steam behind the engine that you just try to do as much pre-production as possible to figure out what that story is. So that way, when you're asking the questions and you hand it over to editors, this is the first project that I didn't edit. I was going to say that is, is it interesting to me? It's almost like if you get signed by a major label in a band, yeah. suddenly, you know, we don't hear a single or we don't like this song. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, this is my band. Was it an adjustment for you to have Absolutely. You know, powers that be telling you edit this, don't do this or whatever? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like, uh, I was in therapy for a little bit, <laughs> but no, I mean like, but like, it's all like, there's positive and negative everything, you know, like there are certain things that were like, would like crush me when doing this project that when I do an independent project, uh, I don't have those issues, but you know, there's things that crush me on making things independently that are so much better on the big budgeted thing, you know, like in my mind, I loved the idea of like going back and forth. Like I'll get annoyed by certain things where like a big budget thing, but that gets solved in the small budget thing. Mm -hmm. But then those small budget things, I'm like, Oh man, I really wish 
we could do this in the big budget way. So it's like, I feel like in my mind, I like the idea of going back and forth. What was so great about working with Peacock and working with Scout Productions is like the idea of the team. You know, in the smaller projects like the House From or the Bill Murray stories, it's like me and two other people. And it's like, we're collectively kind of like one voice and we're, you know, we're journeying this one way. But like with Scout and Peacock, there is all these other ideas and all these thoughts. And like, like how can we all collectively make one movie? And it was really interesting to like kind of like become this team that made something better each way, you know? Sure. It was fun. I enjoyed it. But yeah, it was just completely different. Well, and like you said, too, you, you realize that with Peacock, so many more people are going to watch it than any other project you've done. So there's the yin and yang of, no, okay, this is a big one for me, but you got to play play the game a bit for that you know, benefit. Yeah. Like, could I made something differently if I did it in, completely independently? Sure. You know, but less people would see it. You know, I mean, this is something that collectively working together to tell this larger story. And yeah, I mean, like, again, like I've never been trending before. And not that that like, matters, but it, it's fun to see that something you created along with like this great group of people like is working. It's a weird idea. You know, it's like love and hate Barney the Dinosaur. You know, I, I talked to one of my friends who has a podcast. And I was like, I want to come on and talk about Barney. He's like, I don't think that's my audience's demo. I was like, just watch it. I think it will be, you know, and like even like some of my other doc friends are like, why Barney? You know, I'm like, trust me, it's going to be fun. It's going to be weird. But it's also like, you know, we make these sort of Trojan horse movies. Like, I think I don't think I'm saying anything bad here, but wrestling fans can be quite brutal online, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And like, there's so many things that people say and you go, why would you say that? Why? Like, it's one thing to think it and feel it, but to put it online, I would hope that when people watch Barney, they can almost like rethink that sort of behavior. And also too, though, I mean, you're looking at you when you're talking about Bob getting death threats uh, from a nine-year-old. I mean, nowadays you'd get a thousand death threats because you don't even have to write a letter anymore. You just go on your Twitter machine and type in 140 words about how I'm going to kill you and press send and there's no accountability for that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so easy just to like say something bad and just like, you know, and not think anything of it. But like, you know, we use Barney hate to talk about real hate. I mean, we interviewed a former neo-Nazi in this, you know, and like, and should we talk about the similarities between the behavior and where hate comes from? When people will bash Barney, at first that sounds like, oh, what's the harm? But there can be. Sure. And, you know, on any of the dirt sheets, like there can be harm. What if a wrestler is not like, he was having a hard time just kind of getting it together. And like, and then they just, one person says the wrong thing. And it's just like, I, I hate to say the words, like we just need to be kind to each other, but it's like, you just have to really understand like the power of the words we're saying, you know? Well, I mean, it, it happened. I mean, it happened to Hana Kimura in Japan. She's a, a very, very promising young wrestler that committed suicide because of that, yeah. you know? And, and, and once again, bagging on Barney, whose initial, mo is to love each other and be kind to each other and say maybe we need to freaking listen to what barney had to say overall it's so simple to like dismiss it you know especially since like right you grow up and life kind of hits you in a particular way and then you just don't you know love can be like oh whatever you know but like it is it's important like that self-care and like you know the buzzword is mental health and that's it's it's one of those situations where Star Wars fans. Like, there's some of the worst people in the world. Yeah, yeah. Some of the worst fans in the world. Yeah. I shouldn't say people. Some of the worst fans in the world in that, like, they talk about, oh, you're ruining my childhood. In 1999, when the uh, Phantom Menace comes out, Jake Lloyd, who plays a young Anakin Skywalker, they trash this kid so much for playing Anakin Skywalker the way maybe George Lucas told him to play it, and they actually ruined his childhood. Like, he literally... You know, he's schizophrenic now. Like he would would get like made fun of all through high school and college. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe episode one wasn't what you imagined, but why do this? Like, it's just like the effects are real and it's, it's quite crazy, especially with kids, you know? Last few things, Tommy, there's something I just saw here that's very interesting to me. The show is often cited as a contributing factor to the perceived sense of entitlement seen in millennials. Barney's shows do not assist children learning to deal with negative feelings and emotions. The real danger from Barney is denial, the refusal to recognize the existence of unpleasant realities. Along with his steady diet of giggles and love, Barney offers our children a one-dimensional world where everyone must be happy and everything must be resolved, resolved in the right way. Isn't that what a children's show is supposed to be? Like- well, that's so, it's so interesting. So there's like really two th- schools of thought of that. 
we talk about in the film, like the shades of uh, Barney. In the Barney Bible, they talk about the different emotions for Barney. Sad, depressed, happy, joyful, anxiety. And it's all the same face. Right. Because Bar- Barney's face doesn't change. He's always smiling. You know, but you have characters like Big Bird who can get sad. Bert who gets angry. Grover who gets confused. Like all these different emotions and you're seeing it happen. So there is that train of thought where it's like, maybe these characters should like talk about emotions in such a bigger way. But then also like when you speak, cause like, I mean, look, I didn't watch too many Barney episodes. I didn't have to edit this movie, but I did enough to research it. Right. right. But like you talk to the, the people who made Barney, they said they felt confident. Like, no, we did talk about this sort of stuff. So it, sometimes it, it does feel like, you know, maybe someone who writes something like that never saw Barney or, the way the Barney people are talking about it, it just didn't go far enough. They always talked about like, why not show the world? The idea from this is the news broadcast where they said, that's the future of our country. Right. But Cheryl Leach in many interviews was like, she's trying to show what the future could be. Right. This is what life could be. If we are like this to each other, if we're kind enough, this is what the world could be. So by ignoring some hate, it's good and I think it's bad, but it's, it was interesting where Cheryl was trying to make a better place, whereas all the other parents were saying, you should make a show that gets people ready for the world that it is, and she was just trying to make a world for what it could be. Uh, you mentioned your your uh, plans for the documentary, The Home From. The House From. The House From. Any other future ideas that you're uh, thinking about? I, feel, I one, Last time when I was on about Bill Murray's stories you told me like what's next. And I was talking about this, like Andy Kaufman idea and it just didn't quite happen. So I always, I feel like I jinxed myself last time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I, I think the project's still happening, but in a different form. Uh, but I felt very confident last time going, that's the next one. You know? <laughs> I got it. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I mean, right now we're doing the house from, we're pitching a couple of other projects, you know, a couple of the ones that I think we could be really good and like almost feel like an addition to Barney, you know, it's like, I like to think that like, you know, with Santa Claus, I am Santa Claus. I talked about like identity and community and Bill Murray stories. We talked about like um, living in the moment, being present, and this with Barney, it's like love and hate. So, like, I think like, it's, it's constantly moving, like the thing about like just kind of talking about these ways and different things with like these bright color IPs. You know, so I don't want to jinx it, Chris. The, the house from is interesting because like what like you mentioned, are you just going to basically show? A bunch of people in these houses or like like you mentioned there's no conflict or, or true crime element to it or anything like that i mean the only conflict really is like the way some fans have really overstepped the breaking bad house people have like there's a scene where walter white throws a pizza on the roof you know so fans have gone to this poor oh. woman's house and throw <laughs> pizza on the roof when uh, robin williams died and they used the missed out fire house as like a memorial so it's like thousands of like flowers i mean not thousands, hundreds of flowers and stuff like that on this house and like any city you would have city workers to get rid of it it's like this poor guy's got to clean his front stoop you know because robin williams passed away right, right. the goonies house the woman there is like caged in because all these people just come to her house and like look in like this you know like i was at inside the full house house and i was trying to leave and like it was hard to get through the fans running up the steps to take a picture yeah you know so that's the drama you know uh no one's been killed in any of these houses so there's like the thing that doesn't sell the show you know but we've been to so many different houses we've been to the schrode house from halloween goonies house home alone uncle buck trains planes and automobiles twilight like all these houses and it's really interesting to see what it's like to live in those houses and also the idea of like these things we worship like pop culture has become the new religion you know so right. instead of going to like uh jerusalem to see like these like historical or like religious sort of spots you know you go to like the miss doubtfire house and you go hello <laughs> you know? I got a good one for you. Yeah. Abbey Road. Oh, yeah. I went to Abbey Road about 10 years ago, and there is people lined up on that freaking street to walk across the road. And there's a busy road. A busy road. And these people are, aren't having it. The people in the cars are like, I'm not slowing down. This happens every day. I got to drive to work through this thing. And they're just speeding by, and everyone's trying to walk by with the keeping yeah, their arms I've done it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a documentary right there somewhere. And then the JFK spot, you know, there's like there's a star right where he got shot that people stand on and take a picture, but it's like an open road. So like someone's going to get hit, right. you know, with this thing. So it's crazy. And, you know, my in-laws live right across the street from the Rocky steps 
and they see people running up those steps every day. You know. <laughs> Last thing for you, John. What's your favorite scene from from the Barney documentary? Is there some that stands out as one of your favorites? <laughs> so, so we talked about David Joyner being the uh, the body of Barney, but for the first five to six tapes, it was this other guy named David Voss who used to be a mime. I don't know why it gets makes me laugh, but it's like we just shot this like amazing mime footage of him, and he's just literally <laughs> doing a mime, and the music's right. And it's like shot in sixty frames, so it's like slow motion. That to me is my favorite part. <laughs> Mine is uh, also involving a Barney. It was David Joyner when he first gets it. He does the three sixty with the Barney, whatever. I thought for sure that yeah. he was going to land and like break both his ankles or something. <laughs> So and then much to the dismay of the children seeing Barney on the ground <laughs> screaming in pain. So when he actually landed and he was okay, I was like, "Oh, he did it!" Yeah, hey, <laughs> nice. But yeah, I mean, like that '90s culture during that time. Like one of my favorite archives. I try to put wrestling in every single one of our movies, and we snuck in like a Stone Cold Steve Austin in there because you think of '90s like the attitude. You know, it's it's definitely during that time. So I try to sneak the wrestling in. Well, it's great to uh, to talk to you, Tommy. Like I said, you've always got interesting subjects, and you're always welcome back to talk about uh, whatever comes up next. I appreciate. It. Oh, since I did finally did a big um, network thing, I bought myself this belt for. Uh, oh, nice! Oh, the old school. Yeah, you got the uh, classic Eagle <laughs> yeah. WWF Heavyweight Championship. I, I think I was the last person to hold that belt. By the way, that's very cool. Yeah, I mean it's it's the better belt, right? Oh yeah, they should go back to it for sure. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, so I was like, I did a big thing. I'm buying the big belt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it. Talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Chris.